verses before I pray for Steve to come and share with us together. So I'm going to be reading from verses 1 to 5, 10 to 14, and 16 to 18. But I'm sure you can follow along with me. It says this. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him, all things were made. Without him, nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. He was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. He came to that which was his own, sorry, yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision, or a husband's will, but born of God. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son, who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. Out of his fullness, we have all received grace in place of grace already given. For the law was given through Moses, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, but the, only, but the one and only Son, who is himself God and is in closest relationship with the Father, has made him known. I'm going to pray and then invite Steve Ellard to come and preach to us this morning. But let's pray together. Father God, we thank you for your word. We thank you that it reveals to us more about who you are and your character. Father, I pray your word would challenge us this morning, that we would be not just listeners of your words, but doers of your word, and would our lives be changed in response. As we think about this big question this morning, if Jesus was your son, why did he die? Why did he get killed? Father, I pray that you'd be revealing your son to us. And I pray for Steve now, as he communicates your truth to us, would we have open hearts to hear what it is that you are saying and doing. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you, Steve. Well, good morning, everyone. Well, series, if you could ask God one question. And this morning, we're going to be looking at this question. If Jesus was your son, how come he got killed? It's not an overly cheery subject for a Sunday morning. Nonetheless, though, it is a really important question for us to explore together. I expect that most of us will have some understanding of the Easter story about how Jesus was turned over to the Romans, the occupying, occupying force of the time, put on trial and eventually executed. And the cross has become a, a symbol 
of the Christian faith. About a third of the Gospels are spent explaining the death of Jesus. Much of the New Testament is spent trying to explain the, the whole purpose. So what is it that makes the brutal death of one man so important? And indeed, if Jesus was supposedly the Son of God, how come someone so important could be killed in such a barbaric way in the first place? Loves you. It's the message at the heart of the New Testament. It's a message at the heart of the universe. But why was it necessary? What was the problem that required Jesus to die? At first glance, there doesn't seem to be any logic or purpose. And if we read about it in isolation, that's a fair conclusion to draw. But to really understand the reason for Jesus dying, we have to step back and see the bigger picture. And there is so much that I could say on this topic, and I don't have the time available to me this morning to give it the justice it deserves, but in the time that I do have, I hope to catch a glimpse of the depths of God's love for us, uh, for his creation. From John, for those who are used to engaging with church, you'll probably be familiar with this passage from, from our celebrations. But I think that this first chapter of John shouldn't be reserved just for Christmas. I love this chapter. In these few verses, John manages to capture the story of eternity. It's a synopsis of God's story and his relationship with creation. And it's in zooming out this far to, to this picture of creation, to this picture of eternity, in order to understand why Jesus had to die, we must first go back to the very beginning. In his first two verses, John tells us, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Now, John uses this, this phrase, the Word, as a way of identifying Jesus. So what John is saying here is that Jesus was not only with God at the beginning, but that he is God. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit are all together in this unique relationship of love and thought and intent. They are all in unity with each other. And it's important that we recognize this because the relationship between God the Father and God the Son is distinctly different from any relationship that we see on earth, any father-son relationship that we experience as humans. Now, I had a really good relationship with my father. I know that's not the same for everyone. Some people, for, for whatever reason, don't have very good relationships with their fathers. But my father was, was kind, he was supportive, he'd always be there to help me out in a crisis. But he was also flawed. We often disagreed with one another. I'd often be completely flummoxed by the decisions that he would make. So despite that really good relationship that I had with my father, 
It was nowhere near the connection that God the Father has with God the Son. Their relationship is perfect, perfectly united in vision when we speak about why Jesus came to us. In words, Jesus is God incarnate, or God with skin on. He came to his own creation to make God known, created in the image of God. God loves us. He created us. And that means that we're God's masterpiece. Human beings are so capable of good things, creative, beautiful things. So why is it that Jesus came? Well, because in the midst of all that beauty, there's also a dark side. You only have to turn on the TV to open the newspaper or scroll through social media to see the terrible evil that's in our world. But it's more complicated than just splitting the world into good people and bad people. It's more mixed than that. The same people who are capable of great love and great kindness can also be capable of bad stuff. Acts of malice which damage relationships. Acts that hurt other people, that affect our own well-being. And that's what the Bible calls sin. Sin is much more profound than what society has made it. It, it has consequences. It, it pollutes our heart. It poisons our relationship with each other and ultimately with God. And it's addictive. The more that we do it, the more that we become enslaved to it. It affects us all. In the book of Romans, the Apostle Paul explains that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And most importantly of all, sin breaks that once beautiful and perfect relationship that we had with God. We've created a barrier that we couldn't possibly fix ourselves. And this is why Jesus came. To overcome our separation from God, we needed someone who had lived the perfect life to take our place, to pay our price, to bring us back into fellowship with God. In 2 Corinthians, Paul says that through Christ, God reconciled us to himself. Well, that's all very well. You may be sitting there asking yourself this morning, well, why did, did this, this God, this almighty God, design humanity so flawed that he had to send Jesus to reset our relationship status with him? Well, this is where I think it gets really good. Because God didn't want us to worship him out of duty or because that's what we were designed to do. He didn't want us to be robots or to blindly obey. He wanted a relationship with people who chose him freely. God wanted a relationship based on love. But in allowing us that freedom to choose, God knew that we would inevitably drift away from him to think that we could cope without him, to make those bad choices called sin. But despite knowing that, God was still prepared to create us, knowing that it cost Jesus. The Apostle Peter writes this, 
It was not with perishable things, such as silver or gold, that you were redeemed, but with the precious blood of Christ, who was chosen before the creation of the world. You see, the cross wasn't a reaction to our bad behavior, but a pre-action. It had already been decided before the beginning of the world. And this ties us back into the because he was part of the decision-making process. In John 10, Jesus explains, the reason my father loves me is that I lay down my life only to take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. So if we ask the question, who required Jesus to pay the price for our sins? The answer is, God required God to pay the price. And God the Son voluntarily took upon himself the role of bearing that penalty, his own choice. And it's here that we see something of the amazing love of both God the Father and God the Son. Not only did Jesus know that he would bear that incredible pain of the cross, but God the Father also knew that he would have to inflict that pain on his deeply loved son. Romans 5 says, God shows his love for us, that whilst we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. So what changed as a result? Well, John tells us in verses 12 and 13, to all who received him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision or a husband's will, but born of God. This was God's rescue plan for humanity. Jesus, in his perfect relationship with his father, was perfectly obedient to his father and met the demands of the law. He suffered in our place. He bore the penalty for our sin. He fulfilled the requirements of the law and broke down the barrier that we made between ourselves and God. Jesus did what we could never achieve by ourselves. He opened a way for us to receive that inheritance which can never again be taken away. Freedom from our sin, the blemishes of our past washed away, and open access to the love and peace of God our Father. And we can know this is true because three days after Jesus died, he rose again. In history's most significant event, we see the validity of Jesus' claims about himself confirmed. Now, many skeptics would say that to believe in a risen Christ is nothing more than a blind leap of faith basis in truth. But when confronted with the facts, those who are intellectually honest have been forced to admit the resurrection is a historical event based on irrefutable proof. And if you don't believe me, come back again in a couple of weeks where we explore that a little bit more. The resurrection was not a reversal of a defeat, but a manifestation of a victory that took place on the cross. 
It's a promise that evil will not have the last word because it has been defeated. The resurrection proved that Jesus is God. The fact that Jesus died on the cross in itself does not prove that he is God. But Jesus proved his deity by fulfilling the prophecies of his death and by his return from the grave. The resurrection proves that Jesus has power to forgive sin. The Bible asserts, if Christ had not been raised, your faith is worthless. You are still in your sins. But by rising from the dead, Jesus proved his authority and power to break the bonds of sin, to assure forgiveness and eternal life to all who accept his offer. The resurrection reveals that Jesus has power over death. The Bible records Christ rose from the dead and will never die again. Death no longer has any power over him. The resurrection secures our victory over death and lifts us from the grave into glory. The resurrection defeated God's enemy. The cross was heaven's triumph. When Jesus rose, the power of sin and death was forever shattered. Because of the resurrection, Christians need never fear Satan or death again. The cross has dealt with all of the problems that separate us from God. Titian that we've talked about has been removed. Like the story of the prodigal son, you can run home and be embraced by a father who loves you so much that he can't wait to hold you again. We're reconciled to him. We can have this close, intimate relationship with him. And through him, we can find reconciliation in our relationship with others. Now, if this is striking a chord for you this morning, I want you to know that God is in the business of restoration. You may feel so far gone that you cannot ever be rescued, that your relationship with your families and your friends are completely broken. Well, there are plenty of people who would testify differently. Get in touch with us this morning and find out more about what God can do in your life. Or maybe you're hearing my words this morning and thinking that it doesn't apply to you, that you're generally a good person, that you don't need God to fix anything in your life. Well, if I was brutally honest, that was me. I was the person who thought that God was irrelevant. Even growing up in a Christian household, I couldn't see what the issue was. But there came a time in my life where I realized that the, the issues in my life were being caused by me, that I was damaging myself and my relationship, and there was no way I could do anything about it. And in the depths of my depression, I reached out to God, and by his grace, I am where I am today. So if you're hearing my words and thinking that it doesn't apply to you, I challenge you, be honest with yourself. Ask yourself if you're truly the person that you want to be. I'm sure that when all is said and done, each and every one of us 
has bowed ourselves. And it's because Jesus died for us that we can find that peace and healing. If that is you this morning, don't just take my word for it. Go and find out about it for yourself. For our church community, well, if we believe all of this to be true, then we must stop evaluating people from a human perspective to see people how God sees them. God has given us the task of being his ambassadors. As a community of believers, we need to be sharing this message far and wide. It's a message too good not to share. Our behaviors need to change. Anyone who belongs to Christ is a new person. The old has gone, the new has come. We need to be living for Christ. Our actions speak out our truth. We must act what we believe. We can't say one thing and then go and do another. If this is true for us, it must be true in our entire lives. So why did Jesus have to die? Well, he died to give us the right to be children of God. He chose to die so that he could remove the barriers between us and God. He knew the price it would cost him, but he created us anyway. And we can know his promises are true because the cross was not the end of the story. Three days later, he rose again. The cross is the focal point of history. Jesus is the fulfillment. Are you going to respond? Let's pray. Almighty God, thank you for the work that you completed on the cross. Thank you that we can celebrate a victory over sin and death. And that because of Jesus, we are as your presence here with us this morning. We are lost in wonder, lost in love, amazed at the price you were willing to pay so we could come into your presence. Father, this morning, once again, we offer ourselves to you. We lay our lives before you. Help us to live our lives in the light of your freedom and as people restored through the power of the cross. Help us to share the good news of Jesus with the world. In Jesus' name, amen.